Welcome to the Renegade Inc. podcast. This is the audio version of our weekly talk show hosted by Ross Ashcroft. Welcome to Renegade Inc, the talk show which allows us to think differently. The creative industries are worth about £10 million an hour to the UK economy. Globally, now all governments recognise the importance of this enigmatic sector to drive their growth. But are creativity and commercial forces compatible? If they are, why is all the advertising we see today internationally so incredibly bland? Why has Hollywood lost its originality? And has big data and ad tech removed risk-taking from the creative process? In short, we ask, what's killing creativity? Very few of us now have the acting skills necessary to fake interest in the latest Oscar winner. Even fewer people have the patience needed to put up with being continually patronised by another piece of infantile advertising. So how did we get here and how do we get out of this creative hinterland? Joining me to work out an escape route is the only person you need alongside you in any crusade against the current fad of terrible commercials and so-called big ideas that aren't. The author and renowned advertising man Dave Trott. Dave, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, you're an advertising man in your blood, if you like. You've lived it, eaten it, slept it, breathed it. Um, what's happened, in your view, to the craft of advertising, specifically the craft? The craft has gotten superb and better than ever. And as it has, the ideas, the thinking has gotten worse and duller and more boring. And consequently, the crashing dullness of the ideas and the thinking is covered up by the massive craftsmanship of the execution. It's like putting perfume on a bad smell. Because it looks fabulous, you think it must be good. But actually, nobody repeats it in the street, nobody sings it, nobody remembers it. It doesn't get off the screen, it dies there. And uh, the advertising industry gives itself awards for execution and for craft. And the things are superbly made invisible, dull and boring, but superbly made. When you didn't have that level of craft, you had to work a lot harder at having exciting ideas. The craft has become an expensive way of covering up dull, boring ideas. Are you not talking about the, the technical craft, the, the CGI, the, the ability to put people in different places, sure. all that stuff? But what I'm talking about is the craft of the whole package, of, the, of that brilliant idea, of that thing that gets... Uh, you've, got to separate, you've got to separate craft and, and, and context, concept. One of the most creative thinkers there's been, Edward de Bono, said there are a lot of people calling themselves creative who are actually mere stylists. And that's absolutely where we're at now. There is no creative thinking. There is just a lot, a lot of style. And it's what, what, how Detroit died. You had the same old car with a front engine, long transmission, rear wheel drive, ever since the Model T. And every year you'd change the body shape. You'd have big fins, small fins, two headlights, four headlights. The Japanese came along and reinvented what cars were. Three cylinders, two cylinders, front wheel drive, transverse engines. And now Detroit's dead and Japan and Germany make the cars because the thinking of Detroit was dead and they just became stylists. And that's exactly where we're at now. There is no creative thinking. 
just enormous style. If um, Detroit is the, um, let's say, is similar to the UK advertising industry hmm. or the US advertising industry. I think it's worldwide. I don't think it's do you think it's worldwide? Yet. Do you see any little areas of hope where that, that are doing really interesting things that, that you think, actually, that could be the threat of the good example? Last night, my son, who's also an advertiser, he got excited. He showed me three posters. He said, look at these, Dad. I just saw these on the internet. And three fabulous posters. And I thought, they are great. That's the freshest, most brilliant thing I've seen in ages. That's really, really exciting and new and fresh. And maybe there's a rebirth happening. Where's, where and I said, from? who does those? And he said, it was Abbott Mead 20 years ago. And what, that, what were they for? There was no words on it at all. Just a great big 48 sheet poster and a cartoon of a pig sticking a knife into a toaster that was plugged in and then a pack shot of a pack of frazzles. <laughs> and no words at all. And I thought, that's absolutely brilliant. It treats you like an adult. It's fun. You'd pass it on at school. You'd remember that if you saw it in the paper. You'd tear it out. It's such a good joke. It could have come out of Viz. And because there's no copy on it, it, it's such a lot of fun. Yeah. And you feel intelligent for getting it. And you don't have to have lots of long warnings on it saying <laughs> an asterisk and, and then and then don't a, try this at home all that nonsense yeah yeah so what's gone out of it is the the fun and the lightness and the wit you mentioned treating people like an adult hmm. a lot of it you look at now a is very gender stereotypical hmm. but it treats everyone like children well everybody's scared stiff everybody's mainly scared, scared of what scared stiff of losing accounts so, so what, they go long, lowest common denominator? Well, you go whatever the client will buy. The audience used to be the person in the street, the person we wanted to buy the product. Now the audience is 100% and always the client. But and what the client will buy, because if you don't do what they want, they're going to walk down the road to another one. And if they do, whoever you work for is going to fire you and get someone else in. We can't just blame the agencies. Doesn't the client see the self-defeating nature of that? That they can't actually listen to rigorous opinion and, and about their brand and actually they're too close to it. Unfortunately clients aren't very creative and so what clients want is a lot of numbers and data and backup so, and all you'll do is agency planning departments are great at generating numbers and data and backup to prove what we've done works so we'll hold your client so we'll hold your account. And is that all cover your ass? Well can't be anything else can it of course it's that you've got four big conglomerates Martin Sorrell, whoever the guys that have ass, Morris Levy John Wren, Omnicom, I can't remember the fourth guy. And they own most of the agencies. And if you run one of their agencies, every year you have to go to the big meeting when all the agencies meet, and you have to stand up and in front of everybody else give a report on your agency. Either you're going to say how much new business you've put on and how much money you're making, or you're going to say how many awards you've won. And that's what holds your job. The guys who run those agencies are accountants, so they really don't know anything then how many awards you've done, if you've won 20, it must be better than him who's won 15. Never, never won, mind if it, you know, the Honolulu pineapple you won or whatever award you can, <laughs> you can find to enter. If you enter enough awards, you're going to win some. Yeah, or if you buy enough tables at the event with the awards you're, on. You're, you're, if you enter enough stuff, you'll win awards. So you either can go there to cover your ass for your meeting with your international boss, or you've hung on to these big accounts and you hang on to the big accounts by keeping the client happy. And how do you keep the client happy? By keeping the client happy. By doing what they want you to do. Well, by keeping the client happy. But then happy. you become a mere operator and, and, and that's why we see this spiral, this death spiral. Rory Sutherland said, um, 
Creative people have a fear of the obvious, but they must sell their work to people who have a love of the obvious. No one ever teaches clients why the obvious is wrong. The numbers are, in the UK, £18.3 billion spent every year on all forms of marketing and advertising. Mm. 4% remember positively, 7% remember negatively, 89% not noticed or remembered. Now, the 4% and the 11% that's remembered at least... They're startling statistics. At least they can work. Now, 90%, 17 billion quid, isn't noticed or remembered. Bill Birnbeck says, if no one notices your advertising, everything else is academic. And nobody trains clients that your main focus, don't mind being right, is it interesting? It can be right and it can be dull, in which case it's part of the 17 million quid that doesn't get noticed or remembered. Do you know what, though? There are, I think there are CEOs out there possibly watching this, listening to you, thinking, yeah, he's saying what, what I think. Because we're at that point now where this can't hold, can it? I tell you what I find of clients, the higher up the chain you go, the better their judgment. Yeah. Because the more junior the clients, the more they're scared stiff of getting it wrong. So the more they do it by what they've just learned, which is jargon about ecosystems and heuristics and algorithms and all the latest behavioural Behavioural economics? All of that, the higher up the system you go, the guy's got more entrepreneurial now. And when you talk to a chief exec, he says, what I want to know is, how much is this costing me? What will I get for it? And why will it work? Now, I can have a conversation like that much better than great big fat textbook that's like I'm passing an exam for a degree. They think that when you present the ads, you should present them to the most junior people and don't get the senior people involved until you've gotten... But what happens is all the really exciting stuff gets killed off by the junior people. Right, exactly. So what manages to make its way up to the senior guy is the dull stuff, and he looks at it and he's thinking, is this the best this agency can do? And then you, the agency gets fired because all the decent stuff's on the cutting room floor and then the jamboree moves on. Now, up. much better is if you've got your senior people involved at the front end yeah. of actually picking what we're going to progress yeah. and then they could get on with something else while the junior people dotted the I's and crossed the T's. We think we are Hollywood and we think we're making lovely little bits of film that everybody loves and the truth is you could swap pack shots on the end and it wouldn't make any difference. You're not actually making ads anymore. You're making lovely little bits of film or lovely little executions, and it, please don't sully it with a, with, by having to sell something. <laughs> oh, do you think there's a snobbery? Oh, not many. That crass and uh, old-fashioned uh, hard sell stuff, putting a jingle in there, mentioning the name of the product, or something like that. We make a lovely little 40-second piece of art that uses like a crossword clue to work out what's happening. <laughs> and at the end of it, if we absolutely must, if you put my arm up my back, somewhere I'll hide the name of the product at the end. Because, and planners are as guilty of this as creative guys. Creative guys will do it just because they love to do execution. They love to shoot film and they love to make things look beautiful. And fly so business they'll do cars. it for that reason. Planners will do it because they've got a theory that if you get the brand values right, people will buy it because we got the brand values right. You don't have to do anything as crass as putting the name on it and having people remember the name. <laughs> and so what you have is you have 17 million quid, 90% of absolutely beautifully crafted, stunning wallpaper that's well, all interchangeable because you didn't remember the name. Nobody remembers the name. Where do ideas come from? We shouldn't be Hollywood. To be really creative, we should be outthinking the competition the way a football club outthinks the competition. That's the whole creative point. Otherwise, it's just a style exercise. I can light it better than anyone else. I can edit it better than anyone else. I can cast it better than anyone else. I can get a better director to shoot it. And I'll win an award. And that's all got the square root of all to do with the job we're supposed to be doing. Where you would start from is 
Who are we currently selling it to? Who could we be selling it to? What are we currently saying about it? What could we be saying about it? What's an exciting opportunity? What's a really creative thought about this? That isn't what people are interested in. We caught up with somebody you know um, quite well and asked him the same question. Let's just have a quick look at where he thinks ideas come from. I don't think you have ideas. I think you find ideas. In fact, I think the best ideas that, um, that I've found, um, you know, they just come in when you're in the shower. Because when you're trying to do something, you can't actually do it often. You know, the very best ideas happen when you're not trying to do them. So, actually, a lot of advertising people don't like this because you say to them, well, it's not really your idea then, you know. And they say, no, 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 it's my idea. And you go, well, no, hang on, you had your chance, mate. When you're trying to do it, you couldn't do it. And then when you stopped trying to do it, it just came in. So it's not your idea. And I love that. I love that thing. Do you recognise that? I recognise an art director. Graham's an art director. He's a really, really good art director. I'm a copywriter. Very different. And that's why you put them together in teams. It's like a two-seat fighter bomber. Most air forces in the world have two-seat fighter bombers. You have a pilot and you have a navigator. Uh, the navigator is usually the senior officer. The pilot's in charge of the plane, the navigator's in charge of the mission. Now the pilot's the art director, the navigator's the copywriter. He makes sure we're going to go to the right place with the right ordnance. How we get there and how we evade everything we're supposed to evade is down to the pilot. He flies the plane. But the mission's down to the navigator. So I'm the navigator, Graham's the art director. What I'll do is I'll erect a structure of the job we're supposed to be doing, how we're out thinking other people, what we're doing, how we're delivering this thing that's unusual. If you leave it to me, it'll be right but dull. If you leave it to an art director, it'll be exciting but wrong. So what you do is you get me to do the, the structure and get that exactly right. Then when I would run a department, I get really exciting young art directors and give it to a few of those and they sprinkle stardust on that structured thinking and then you come back with something which is right and exciting. Because Graham's an art director, it, when he talked about ideas there, for me it's a bit airy-fairy and arty-farty, as you'd expect from an art director. Well, but that's fair enough. It is fair enough. That's, that's the job. It's it like a striker doesn't play a defender's position, you know? Well, my if, job, if, if he plays for Everton. My job is get the ball up the field to the, to the centre forward and then the little strikers run onto it and stick it in the net. Someone's got to start the attack and put it in the right place in the right time. It's a perfect place to leave the first half. That's it for this half. Join us after this short advert-filled break and we'll be talking more about the art, not science, of advertising with Dave Trott. If you're enjoying this podcast, join us at renegadeinc.com. Welcome back to Renegade Inc, the show that allows us to think differently. And before we talk with Dave Trott about creativity, the death of the ad agency and the parlous state of advertising, uh, let's get a quick look at this week's Renegade Inc index. Let's start with our favourite tweets. Uh, as you'd expect, they are all on message and, for the first time, all from the same source. We think if you want to get an insight into how advertising agencies really treat their clients, then look no further than Adweek. Our first tweet, creative team rolls eyes gives middle finger to speakerphone throughout entire conference call with client. I've certainly seen that. Have you, you ever seen that? Done it. <laughs> After a couple of hours of Google research, childless 25-year-old junior planner, suddenly an expert on mum demographic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is right, isn't it? This is about the culture. Well, once they put planning in front of their name, they're an expert on everything and nobody else knows anything, yeah. 
And the third tweet. Report finds that more agencies are shifting focus from doing great work to doing whatever the client wants. Recognise that? 100%. Have we potted it quite nicely, the culture of most agencies? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ad Week, follow them on Twitter. Our book of the week is hopefully a panacea to all the creative flim-flam out there. It's a classic. Uh, it's called A Technique for Producing Ideas by James Webb Young. Since it was published in 1965, the book has helped thousands of creative types unleash their creativity. From poets and painters to scientists and engineers have used the techniques, and we think it's well worth a read. Now, uh, if you're one of those people who long for the glory days of the relevant, dramatic, compelling, even funny advertising idea, Andrew Keith Walker explains why those days have gone and how modern advertising could actually be one big con. The thinking behind advertising used to be that you'd see something memorable and then that would influence what you put in your shopping basket later on. But, like the shop window display behind me, digital technology has transformed all that. In the last three years, the top five ad groups in the world have spent over $665 million acquiring ad tech companies that can track your personal data. And that's things like your age, your gender, your location, your income bracket, and even your internet browsing history. And the new players on the advertising block, like Facebook and Google, will scan your posts and scan your emails so they can understand more about the things you like and the things you buy. And all of this is so that ad companies can serve up ads that they know you're going to be interested in. It's what they call behavioural targeting. There's surprisingly little evidence that all this technology is actually working because people are getting concerned about their privacy. Every year, more people try and stop ad companies from tracking what they do online. And right now, over 200 million people are using ad-blocking software that stops ads from displaying. Yes, digital advertising is becoming annoying. And in fact, one study recently showed you have more chance of surviving a plane crash than actually clicking on a digital advert. Now, if you're a fan of the show Mad Men, you might think there was a golden age of advertising. But actually, in economic terms, advertising is always represented between one and 2% of GDP, which means it's unusual. It's more of an economic constant, like taxation. But what has changed since the Mad Men days is the role of the big idea, because in the digital age, advertising is all about big data and the technology of Big Brother. And when you consider how our attitudes to adverts are changing anyway, all that could be a big waste of time. You've been uh, really absolutely candid about this. You've said ad tech, as it's called, is not advertising. Ad tech is a way to switch your brain off. What does that mean? Well, it means what people don't like is thinking. If you can press a button and do programmatic, you, ha you, you avoid the unpleasantness of having to actually outthink somebody else and you slot into a formula. And all formulas are totally, totally uncreative. He's talking about the end of the big idea. That's the, exactly the sort of thing I mean. This is because people are desperate now to understand the technology and make no, no effort at all to understand where it's got to land. It's got to land in the human mind, never mind the technology. If you understand anything about the human mind, a big idea will always beat 20 little ideas. That's gestalt. That's how you're programmed from the minute you're born. If there's 19 identical things and one that's different, actually in your mind there's two. There's a whole bunch of similar things and one that isn't those. And the one that isn't gets 50% of your mind and the other 19 share 50% of your mind. And you can call those 19 big ideas all you want, but they're 19 little ideas versus one big idea. 
and because that, that's how the mind works. And you're depicting ad tech as the tiny ideas as opposed to the one big idea because what you've said is advertising is mass market, it speaks to everyone, it doesn't pester people uh, or individuals personally. Ad tech uses machines to seek out individuals according to data, ad tech uses data to pester individuals wherever it finds them. So really it's a stalking aspect to this, isn't it? It's taken over from creativity the belief that if I can find you wherever you are and I can narrow you down as black suit wearing, white shirt wearing, black diagonal stripy tie wearing people and I can hit you bonk, you have to buy what I've just said. Why? That isn't going to work. If, I, if it's crap, it's crap. But the belief now is because I've targeted you right down to what you wear and what makes you different to anyone else, I don't have to do any more thinking now. So programmatic has taken over, ad tech has taken over all thinking, and now any old junk just gets called creative because it's dumped on an individual basis. Is this a good time to have a look at um, some classic ads? Um, because th these are very much the big idea. So let's just have a look at this Levi's 501 laundrette ad. What's your reaction to that? If you show it to people nowadays, they look at it and they go, hmm, so what? Because it's been copied to death where it doesn't look any unusual anymore. But at the time, nothing like that was around. Nobody had ever heard an actual song used on a track that hadn't been redone as a jingle. There's not a word selling Levi's in that. That's just the original track. And a guy takes his jeans off, he doesn't tell you anything, and then sits there in his underpants. In those days, no one was wearing boxers. Everybody was wearing wire fronts. And it was filmed to look totally different to anything else that was on the box at the time. Then what happens, everybody immediately says, that's original, that's great, that's different, I must copy it. And what was really cool, nobody had ever done before, is it was virtually no selling at all, which worked great when everybody else was doing sell, 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 sell. Now it's been copied to death and everybody does no selling at all, but everybody's missed the point. It worked when it was different. If you copy it, it was not different. Let's have a look at something else um, and, and get your reaction to it. Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet, 
mild cigar. Immediate reaction to that, and I know you've seen it lots of times. Campaign ran for at least 20 years, and that was a really good ad in a campaign, and what played in everybody's mind was Jacques Louis C.A. track, a jazz version of Bach's Air on a G-String. Bong, 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 bong. People would do it in the street, and the line, Happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. So you'd see it if someone fell over in the street and landed in a puddle. People would go to them, happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. You had a line that caught on and it was a good punchline to whatever happened in the street. You had a campaign that caught on, it became part of people's lives. And you had a strap line that was said because what goes viral is sound and words. Pictures don't go viral. They had sound that you could whistle, they had words that you could say. And that campaign over 20 years went amazingly viral and got into the language. That ad was another really good execution in what must have been 40 or 50 of those ads. And it became one of people's favorite things to look forward to on TV. Every time it gets repaid, that's free advertising you're not paying for. And you turn a five million pound account into a 25 million pound account by getting people to repeat it in the street. We asked at the top of the show then, who or what is killing creativity? Well, I was talking to about 3,000 people in, in India on a, a conference on creativity and they wanted to know about... And I said, be honest, you haven't got a lot of chance because you're Asian. My wife's Asian, you're, you guys are all Asian. You haven't got a lot of chance. You're great at style, Why? but what? you've got a problem with creativity because you're taught to be obedient and creativity is about disobedience. As Steve Jobs said, why would you want to join the Navy when you could be a pirate? And they all agree, everybody in India, you're brought up that way. All the Chinese, I was talking about it last night to all my in-laws, you're brought up to be obedient. You don't want to you break, why would you want to break the rules? Why would you want to be on your own? Why would you want to be an outsider? Why would anybody want that? But that's what creativity is, breaking the rules. What happens now is everybody's either scared stiff to break the rules or doesn't want to break the rules, or if creativity can't be justified in... I'll make more money if I'm creative. You don't do it. You don't do it for the hell of it. You don't do it for the fun of it. You don't do it for enjoyment. Everything has to be justified on terms of making money. And if you can make more money by obeying the rules, then do that. So everything's become really, really boring. And that's ultimately the death of creativity. Mixing money in that sense, mixing commerce with it, putting a load of rules together, saying shareholders need this. You're no longer telling jokes because they're funny. You're telling them because they make more money. You're no longer doing art because it's daring, you're doing it because it makes more money. If you can't justify it on making more money, you don't do it. That's an awful situation to be in, isn't it? Well, you tell me if I'm wrong. You mean... Sadly, I, I, I'm, looking for re I'm looking to try and oppose it and give a differing view, but when you look around the world, and by the way, it's not just creativity within advertising. When you look at, look at Hollywood, it's lost all sorts of... Look at Damien Hirst. The Turner Prize. You look at Charles Sarch's art galleries, you look at the Turner Prize. You don't even try to do great art now unless you win £50,000 at the Turner Prize. £50,000 not enough, we must give them 200000 So you're not doing it for making great art, you're doing it because you win more money. Same with making films. Now let's be surprised that we're not creative when it's all come down to making money. Dave, it's always truth serum when you come, um, and we, we love having you. Thank you very much. Thanks, and thanks for being so unvarnished about it, because, you know, and I know you wouldn't have it any other way, but, you know, it's refreshing to hear. That's it from Renegade Inc. HQ this week. You can drop the team an email, studio at renegadeinc.com, or tweet us at Renegade Inc. Uh, join us next week for more insight from those people who are thinking differently. But until then, stay curious.
Thank you for listening to the Renegade Inc. podcast. If you'd like to watch the episode or browse more of our content, you can find us at renegadeinc.com. Renegade Inc. was produced by Megan Ashcroft and Olivia Lebrun. Renegade Inc. is a Renegade Inc. production in association with Motherlode.